As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. John, your word about um, the guy said, please share Christ with me or it's never going to stop raining. Uh, the, the one thing that I felt that was on that word is an issue of prophetic evangelism. That, that was a call for evangelism. Jesus said that the harvest is ripe, right? It, like the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And, it, and in these last days, you know, the kingdom is show and tell. And it says, Paul said it wasn't in word, but in power. And we've got a generation that says, okay, Jesus has made all these claims. I want to see Jesus displayed. And so he's looking for a generation of people that will simply just believe what he said is true and go after it until they see it in their lives. When I first began to pray for people to get healed, I read it. I came out of a denomination that didn't believe in it. And so my own journey of overcoming unbelief to begin to see people get healed, I mean, I'll never forget my first um, migraine that I saw healed. The lady, I started praying for healing for her migraine, and all of a sudden she started dry heaving. Well, it was a torment, and it was actually a spirit causing the migraines. And that was the first time I watched, like, a migraine go by somebody dry heaving up a spirit. And if you don't think that changed my my heart, my theology, um, very much. I mean, it, it, it took out unbelief. There are a lot of things that we are medicating today that simply need to be cast out of your life, not pampered. There's a lot of things that we have taken in this life as mental illnesses and, and diseases that are actually a spirit of infirmity. And if you battle a spiritual issue on an earthly plane, you're going to get earthly results. And that's what we've got to get back into, the issue of the kingdom, the message of the kingdom, and and never leave that place. I I was telling John a couple of days ago, I really feel that we're in in a season of convergence. There's a convergence taking place over this region. 
there is a uh, remnant of people that are kingdom-minded that are being drawn together for such a time as this. And one thing I felt very strongly during the worship is that the fire of God is here. Right? God lit the fire, but the priest had to trim the wick. So what does that mean to us? That means that when the fire of God, remember the disciples were baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. When the fire of God comes on you, it's for purging. It's for purifying. It's, it's to have your heart burn towards the Lord. But keeping that fire going is your responsibility. And, and, that, and that happens when you are in your quiet times. That happens when you seek the Lord's face when nobody's around. And you seek His face for no other gain than simply to be intimate with Him. And, that, and that's, that's the generation, that Jacob generation that God's raising up. A generation of people, young people and, and old people in all ages that just simply want the Lord. They, they want the gospel. They want to see His kingdom come. They want to see heaven now, not when they die. Um, there, there's been something that's burned on me for a couple of months now. And, and that is the issue of the orphan spirit. I've seen this displayed over and over and over in the church. And when I do ministry, I see that manifesting a lot of times in my sessions. I've seen it in my own life in the past where I felt orphaned. I felt alone. And, you know, when the spirit of adoption is loosed into us, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. We're not living in the reality as sons and daughters many times. We're, we're living from an orphan mindset. And so, over the next three and a half hours, I would like to speak... Sorry. It's okay, it's okay. Over the, over the next little bit, emphasis on a bit... Um, I want to talk to you about this because we all, as we mature and grow in Christ, are getting that mindset, that orphan mindset, removed out of our lives. And as we begin to look at the characteristics of this, you're going to begin to see areas of your life where you've been affected by it. It's, it's hard to walk in the kingdom as a much-loved son or daughter if you believe that he's just waiting to hit you over the head. Right? How many times when we mess up do we automatically think, what did I do? <laughs> Something happens in your life and it's like all hell breaks loose and you automatically think that you've done something wrong and that God is punishing you. Now, I know theologically we can say, oh, I know the truth, but Jesus went after the heart. And we want to be in a company of people that live from our hearts, not our intellect, right? Because out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. It's the issues of the heart. Guard your heart, for out of it flow the issues of life. And we are, we are adjusting and recalculating to get back to living from our heart. But it's hard to live from your heart when there's a lot of pain in there. And that's where Jesus comes in and begins to do spiritual surgery on you, and he removes the wounds. So all of a sudden, now, you can embrace your heart, you can embrace living from your heart, and know that regardless of what's happening in your life, that the Lord truly is with you. 
in Malachi 4, 5, and 6, it says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. When we spoke on the spirit of Elijah, this was the, the scripture the other week that we used. John 14, 18, uh, 14, 18 says, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. Psalm 68.5 says, He's a father of the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in His holy habitation. And 1 Corinthians 4.15 says, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I've begotten you through the gospel. And that scripture is actually Paul speaking more of the issue of a spiritual father. You will never... You will never father a generation if you're living as an orphan. And and that's why today in the body of Christ, much of the leadership has not been able to raise up spiritual sons and daughters because they've been living from a deficit. They've been living from a place of believing that they're orphaned. Does that make sense? And as we begin to look at the characteristics of an orphan spirit, you're going to go, oh my word. There may even be leaders that pop into your mind like, oh wow, that's what that was. And so, characteristics of an orphan spirit, the first thing you'll see of of many is a hypersensitive or offends very easily. And this is because they carry a spirit of rejection. The fear of rejection and rejection of self. That was a mouthful. So, but everything starts with the issue of feeling rejected. As soon as you experience rejection in your life, then the orphan spirit can come in and get you to believe the lie that nobody cares, that nobody loves you, that nobody wants you, that nobody's going to be there for you, that, that you are alone, and if you're ever going to get anything done in this life, you've got to take the bull by the horns yourself and make it happen. You, you see this displayed in the world of lies. You see this competitive spirit stomping on each other to get to the top. But you also see it, unfortunately, in the church just as strong. You see leaders protecting their positions because they feel threatened by others when the anointing's on their life. Rather than having a father's mindset and being proud like a proud father would be over his son as he grows and, and, and matures, many times we see people in leadership, they begin to feel threatened and insecure because they're trying to protect their position that they have versus recognizing that that position was given to them for the people, because of the people, because of the body. You know, the offices, whether it's apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, regardless of the offices, they are there for the body of Christ, not for an empire. And you're, you're seeing a, a game-changing season taking place because you've got a lot of people rising up that are reading the Word, they're looking in the Scriptures, they're looking at this issue of the Kingdom, and they're going, why do, why do our services not look like that? Why, do, why is it a spectator sport when we come? And Why is it that we're going to have three songs, we're going to sit down, we're going to stand up, and it's going to be the same thing week after week after week? 
Because behind that is an issue of control. See, Jesus is not tamed. It's kind of like the Chronicles of Narnia when he, with, you know, Aslan the lion. You, Jesus isn't tamed. And when you tell the Holy Spirit, we want your kingdom, we want your will, you better be ready for him to engage you. Yes. Right? Yes. When you say your kingdom come, your will be done, but not this. You can't do that. But Lord, leave this part of my life alone. Listen, I've named this one. He's called empathy. He's called self-pity. I've named them, I've chained them, and I walk them. And too many times we don't let go because we don't trust. Because we've allowed our experience to tell us what to believe versus the truth. You can, you can, know, you can know that you're free all day long. You can know all day long in your mind that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. But if you've been trespassed against your life and you've not dealt with those things, guess what? Your heart's going to overcome you because you're going to live from your heart. As you believe in your heart, so are you. You're going to live out of your heart. And that, you're going to be miserably victorious, right? We call that spirituality in the Western church where we grunt and grind and I'm fine and everything's good. Just get away from me. How are you? I'm fine. I say that's the four-letter word of the church. Because it's a crock of crap. Rather than coming in saying, you know what, my day's been horrible and I need prayer, would you pray for me? Right? But too many times we come in and we are insecure. What if they, what if they know we have issues? They already know, people. Hello? Lisa and I got an argument on the way to dinner last night. Because I have the Jehu anointing when I drive. He drove ferociously. And she doesn't understand that flow of the anointing. And for some reason, she got irritated with my driving. I know that's hard to believe. So we get into dinner. The gosses are with us. And I don't know what Lisa said, but they could probably see that we've been having an interesting conversation for a couple of minutes. And we sat down and we're like, it was such a stupid argument. Like, we just argued over my driving, of all things. Hey, I was thinking about starting a taxi cab service, but... Good. My wife will be the first reference. <laughs> or not, right? But it's okay. You, everybody knows you're in process, right? I'm in process. If you're, if you're looking for a shepherd that... Doesn't have any poop? Well, sorry. There, there's, you know, as I shovel some of y'all's, I shovel some of mine, so. Moving on. The, you'll find an orphan spirit with a very competitive spirit. They're always competing to prove themselves and comparing themselves to others. What they have or want versus what they view others have. You know, this issue of jealousy was huge with Saul. And I think out of, out of a lot of the leaders, Saul was probably one of the best examples of jealousy. In 1 Samuel 18, uh, 6-12, he felt threatened by David. Why? Because he knew, Scripture says, he knew the Lord had left him, but he was with David. And he, he knew David would have his throne. And so he was jealous. 
Now remember, jealousy is the fear of someone taking what you have. And if you have an orphan mindset and you believe that you earned everything in your life, there's no grace there, you earned it, it was all works, then guess what? You're not going to extend grace to others to come into a place of favor because you don't believe you ever had any favor. And you're going to sit there and protect what you believe you earned, not recognizing that it was a gift. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, right? The gifts and callings are irrevocable. Everything you've been given is from the Father because of His love. It says He causes it to rain on the just and the unjust. But the orphan says, no, I'm alone. I made this happen. I did this. I built this. And you're not going to touch it. In James 3, 14 to 16, it says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, Proverbs talks about that, doesn't it? It talks about when, I want, uh, when someone's heart's really not, don't eat their food, their heart's not with you. You're going to waste your compliments, Proverbs says. And you know, when you've been around somebody that you know their heart's not with you, there's a motive there. there it's not simply just to love you, there's a motive you know, sometimes we can have a motive when we're evangelizing people. Sometimes, because of, a, because of a, a religious spirit or orphan spirit, we're still performing for the Father's approval. And we think that if we don't get that person down on their knees the moment we meet them, saying the sinner's prayer, that somehow we failed. Well, we talked about in the past, I, I remember, like, literally feeling guilt when I shared Jesus with someone if they didn't just like, oh, Okay, what must I do to be saved? When they're just like wanting to argue. And I'm like, what did I do wrong? I failed. You got to remember that there is a, it says, unless the Father draws, no man can come. John 5, Jesus said, I only do what the Father shows me to do. So guess what? If you start evangelizing in your own strength and you come over to Harold here, say, Harold, you know, did you know Jesus loves you? And Harold goes, I don't care. You go in your own strength, you go in your own timing, the door of his heart may not be open. There are seasons in our lives where God allows the pressure of life to bring you into submission. It's kind of like he uses the circumstances of your life to tenderize you. And it, not that he causes it, but he works it together for your good. And then all of a sudden... You're in a place where you're, you're, you're more sensitive. And then somebody comes along and says, Hey, did you know the Lord loves you? And where a week ago you may not have been sensitive to that, but today you are because of what you've just experienced. See, we can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. If we strive in our strength, it may look good on the outside, but there'll be no eternal fruit. So it says, Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So what is demonic? Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. That wisdom is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. That is a very sobering scripture when you read that and think about that. Because there's not a single one of us that's had a pure motive every time we've done something. 
I know I haven't. There's been times in the past where if I wanted something, I was like Jacob, trying to scheme to see if I could word it in the right way where my wife would say yes. Yeah, I know, I'm the only one. And then most of the time she could see that coming from a mile away and it wouldn't work out too well. What is the motive of your heart? It's, it's, hard, to rele- <laughs> it's hard to release love if you don't believe you're loved. It's hard to love others. In fact, I'll say this. You'll love others to the, to the degree that you love yourself. And if you have a difficult time loving other people, look into your own heart and see if there's self-hatred. Because when rejection comes, ultimately it's a threefold cord. It's not just feeling rejected. It becomes the fear of rejection and then the rejection of yourself. Does that make sense? And all God's people said no. Are you with me? Can I get an amen? Okay. So, yes, the crutch. And he was talking about the father and the parable of the father waiting in the window with, with what we call the prodigal son. And if you think about that, both sons suffered from an orphan spirit. It just manifested in different ways, didn't it? The one son said, I'm, I'm taking what's mine and I'm out of here. Self-preservation. And he blew it all. And the other son had this massive inheritance before him and he never stepped into it. See, that's what it does. It will keep you from living from your inheritance in the Lord. You'll strive and you'll, and you'll keep sweating and burning out because you think you have to earn your inheritance when inheritance is given, it's a gift. So how do you receive a gift? With open hands. You do nothing of works for a gift. When you bless, when it's your birthday, it's Charles's birthday Tuesday. Every gift that he gets Tuesday, it's not because he earned those gifts. It's because people that loved him in his life come and celebrate him and bless him. Just like the father put the robe and the ring on the son. And the elder son which are many in the church, they're ticked off because they've done this and they've done that and nobody's seen this and what the heck's everybody's problem? I've been doing all this stuff and no one sees. Not recognizing the greater depth many times in that is that the Word of the Lord is testing you until it's fulfillment. And that word test means purge. Everything's timing. There's a time and a season for everything in this life. Always performing for approval and recognition. An orphan spirit, they want to be seen and recognized for what they're doing for the Lord. How many times would Jesus, how many times would Jesus tell the people, don't say anything, don't say anything. He would heal them. Don't go tell anybody. Every time, He was lowering Himself. He was humbling Himself. He was pointing to the Father. And He was always telling them, don't say anything. And there was was an issue of being wise as a serpent in that because He also knew as His fame went out throughout the region, He would no longer be able to stand before the masses publicly because of the religious spirits and the persecution. 
Did you know that's what the thorn in Paul's flesh was? The thorn in Paul's flesh was a spirit that went before him and stirred up persecution everywhere he went. It had nothing to do with torment. Why would God die? Why would Jesus die for your sins and for your diseases? And then the Father turns around and gives him a tormenting spirit to keep him humble. The thorn in his flesh. It wasn't a disease. Okay. The orphan spirit is rebellious. One who has an orphan spirit will have a a very difficult time receiving correction and submitting to authority. Why? Because they don't trust leadership or others to truly have their best interest at hand. But you know what? When you have a father's heart, people will know that you have their interest at hand because they'll know the love you carry for them. They believe they're simply there to hold them back from success or take what they've already achieved. Saul, once again, in the spotlight of Scriptures, in 1 Samuel 15.23, it says, For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. You know, I used to take pride in the fact that I was stubborn until I read some scriptures. And I quickly realized that being stubborn wasn't quite as cool as I thought. You know, it usually comes with a vow. No one will ever tell me what to do. No one will ever treat me the way my father treated me ever again. See, we pile these these vows of self-preservation up in our lives with an attempt to protect our hearts because we don't believe we're loved. Did my dad spank me? Absolutely. I needed it too. Probably more than I got. Spiritually blind. Oh, he's okay. One with an orphan spirit will always view life through the lens of abandonment, rejection, and offense. They believe everyone is out to get them or use them for their own gain. Have you ever met someone that believes that you know what? People just want me for my gift. That's it. And, and they don't believe anybody really loves them. And so therefore they, they live in self-preservation nonstop. They don't bond with God as their father. They view God as a harsh taskmaster or maybe the Godfather. Or distant God who's just waiting for them to mess up to punish them. Last night... Uh, Lisa and I were talking with the Gosses about the, the great housing bust and, and just different stories of what we went through during that time and what they went through. And, you know, there's moments in your life where you're like, seriously, if one more shoe drops, like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to handle this or not. And I think I told you all a while back um, when we were going through stuff, I was like, can't we just get some peace And my son was four years old and said, it's not about the peace, Dad. It's about the storm. And the hair on the back of Lisa and I's neck stood up from my four-year-old prophesying to us. And And I quickly realized this. There are storms that come in your life that God brings and they're for 
cleansing, correction. And then there's storms that the enemy brings in your life that's always destruction. You know, if you have a dream and there's a storm in your dream coming at you, the first thing you need to look at is the storm, if it's clear, if it's light. Because then that's something God's bringing into your life for, for cleansing, for healing, for correction. Versus when you, and by the way, many of you, that's kind of a common deal where, I mean, I've run from tornadoes and dreams before and the sky's pitch black and there's lightning and thunder and tornadoes. That's not Jesus, just in case you were wondering. This distortion of God many times comes from their own wounded relationship with their earthly dad. Do you know the divorce rate is as high in the church as it is out of the church? And I believe the biggest issue with that is because God's people have not been taught about the covenants of God. And what it means to enter into covenant with God and what it means to keep that covenant. And so many times, we, act, we actually enter into a contract. This is why we have prenups and postnups and self-preservation nups. We do all these different things because we don't trust. If you're going to become one in a marriage, and you're doing prenups because you're worried about what your spouse is going to take from you, you might as well not get married. Well, that went over well. Um, the, ne- the negative characteristics of their dad is subconsciously transposed onto the father. You know, there's an exercise I've taken people through when we're doing ministry, and I was, I'll have them describe their father, write out all the characteristics of their dad, and then I'll turn that tablet around, and I'll say, this is who you think the father is. And all of a sudden, the lights kind of kicked on Because we've all done it. We've all done it. It happens. And subconsciously, we allow those negative attributes of growing up, we automatically transpose them onto God. Y'all doing okay? I know this is, uh, I will put the notes up on the website, so don't worry. The spirit of abandonment. Deep down inside, they believe they're all alone, that no one truly cares about them. If anything is going to get done, they have to do it themselves. Did you know when I was a kid, this is no exaggeration, my, my grandmother told me I felt so alone as a little kid, I asked them to buy me a friend. I'm being real, being transparent here. I don't care if you like me or not. And I literally was like, Will you buy me a friend? I had an imaginary friend named Joey. And then when my grandmother began to threaten me with Joey, that if I didn't act right, she'd trade me in for Joey. Joey got the boot. I was like, no longer my imaginary friend, leave. But you think about that, and I looked back in my life, and I honestly, I could, I could pinpoint all these moments in my life where deep down inside... I I was actually absolutely convinced that I was adopted as a kid. And I wasn't. But that orphan spirit was setting on me to such a degree that I, I literally believed that one day when I got older that my parents would tell me that I was adopted. That is fruit of an orphan spirit. If you have been adopted, 
then that is some, the orphan spirit is something that you need to deal with because it will be there. They feel safest alone and isolated. I call this the Lone Ranger Syndrome. This is where people, they want to be alone all the time. They feel the safest alone because if no one's around them, they can't hurt them. And even though it's torment to feel deep down inside that you're always alone, they've grown accustomed to believing that and they've settled for that being safer than taking a risk to get into relationship with others. Listen, this is something that we have to hit head on as a body of believers because this affects all of us. You can have the greatest parents in the world and still live as an orphan with God. And this has to be crushed if you're going to walk in favor versus striving for performance. Sons live from inheritance. Servants work for wages. See, we were created for love. Now we're going to get to the good part. If if you've recognized issues of an orphan spirit in your life, then we'll come back next week. No, I'm playing. (laughs) Don't leave me in this place. I want to give you four keys to intimacy because this is what absolutely crushes hell in your life. It crushes everything that comes against you. Number one, your self-image helps determine your depth of intimacy. Number one, your self-image helps determine our depth of intimacy. We were created in God's image, and God is love. If 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 you are uncomfortable with God, you are uncomfortable with love. If you're uncomfortable with love, you're uncomfortable with yourself. And if you're uncomfortable with yourself, then you will be uncomfortable with others. Some of these notes I took from a book that Jack Frost wrote on embracing the Father. Or basically embracing God as Father. He had a huge orphan spirit. If you haven't read, uh, read the book, he's not alive today, he passed away, but... The book is amazing. It should, it should be on, on your bookshelf in your library. It's an amazing book. Uh, embracing Father's Embrace, right? Did I say that correctly? Yeah. Jack Frost. We need to recognize our need for intimacy. You know what happens most of the time when we begin to connect? As believers, spirit to spirit, one of you will recoil. Because your spirit is light, their spirit is light, but we begin to bump into each other's walls, right? Like the walls of Jericho, the self-preservation of our life. And as we begin to connect in communion with each other, it gets cut off. Because we don't want to feel vulnerable. So we go so far, and then we stop. I've felt people recoil numerous times. I begin to talk with them, and I do active listening. What do I mean by that? Is I'm in conversation with someone, 
I'm listening for the Holy Spirit to interrupt my conversation so I can speak into their lives what God wants to say. It's active listening. But in that process, when you begin to connect on a spiritual level as spiritual beings, many times you will bump into things in the Spirit. And if you're a seer, it can get interesting. Or you will feel like something happens or when you first meet someone and you shake hands and something takes place in the spirit and you're like, what in the world was that? Um, the first day I met uh, David Zintgraf, who pastors in Fredericksburg at the Sunday House, I met him here in Kerrville at a coffee shop. And my friend Miles, who owned the coffee shop, introduced me to him. And when we shook hands, I felt like this just like a pop, and he said that he saw red light shoot out of me. And hopefully I didn't lose some of you on that, but because you are a spiritual being, God desires for you, us, and communion to connect spirit to spirit. Does that make sense? This whole spiritual life that we're, that we're pursuing of abiding in Christ, and it says that in Acts 17, we live, we move, and we have our being in Him. This verse is loaded, and we have so lost what it means to be spiritual beings. You are first a spirit, temporarily living in a physical body, period. It's not the other way around. And if you always view yourself from an earthly plane, sometimes having spiritual encounters, you're never going to walk in that place of intimacy in the secret place that Jesus desires. All you're going to do is visit. And that's another sign of an orphan spirit. You're always begging God for another encounter, another encounter, because when you're not encountering Him in that moment, you believe He's gone. See, there's a fine line between having fire for God, having a desire for the Lord, and longing to encounter Him in His ways. But if you feel empty and distant from the Lord when you're not in an encounter then you're living from a place of deficit and it's usually an orphan spirit. Because all of a sudden, subconsciously, what did I do? God's left. See, we as believers have to get into a place where we can actually know whether we feel Him or not that He's there. The unconscious presence of the Lord. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Does that make sense? And if you feel orphaned simply because you can't feel Him in a moment, then you don't really believe you're abiding in Him. Although we may think we need to be independent and self-sufficient to survive, you were not created to live apart from God or others. Remember some weeks ago when I told you all, after getting burned youth pastoring a couple of times, I made a vow that I was done with ministry. I told God, I love you. I will get absolutely as close as I can to you, but I'm done with people. I want nothing to do with people. And those were my exact words with no exaggeration. I said, I want nothing to do with people. I said, I will get as close to you as I can. And you know what happened? People were always in my face. As I tried to get close to Jesus, His body was right there. And it was him saying, if you want me, you got to have them because they're made in my image. 
And so I hardened my heart and ran from the Lord for a while because I wanted to do it my way. Isn't there a restaurant? Was it McDonald's? Or? Yeah. yeah. That'll kill you. So will McDonald's. Pride is the source behind being self-sufficient and independent. Orphans have come to a place of belief that not only can they not depend on others, but they won't. They choose not to. It's that liquid love of God that brings their hearts back into a place where they can trust again. One encounter with the love of God, one upgrade of the Father's embrace can melt, can melt the hardest of hearts can change everything. We need now more than ever a greater revelation of the Father's heart. More than anything in this life, now we need a revelation of the love of God. So guess what? There's a responsibility on our part. We have to embrace responsibility for intimacy. Just like marriages don't just happen, we have to work at marriage You have to work at friendship. If you want true, lasting relationships, friendships, you've got to make yourself available. You have to make yourself vulnerable. You have to take a risk by opening up. Many many relationship problems are a direct result of our unwillingness to take down our walls and know others and be known by others. These walls of Jericho go up to fortify our hearts from further rejection of others, but actually end up keeping us or keeping the Lord out of those places as well. When we then become bound to our soul's strength to live life and maintain self-protection. You know why you get burned out? Because you're striving out of your soul. You're striving out of your own strength. And you keep going and you keep going and all of a sudden you have these cycles of defeat because you're living from vows that you've never broke. And God is a gentleman and He allows you to live from those places until you get tired of doing it in your own strength. Taking responsibility for relationships is the first step to true intimacy and healing. The victim spirit will always tell you that you're helpless to change anything. And it's always someone else's fault. Not your own. And guess what that does? That alleviates personal responsibility for anything. Right? Have you ever met anybody that everything's everybody else's fault? No matter what they do, it's not their fault. It's the other person's fault. The fourth key to intimacy with the Lord is being who God created you to be. Many times we base our self-worth on what we do and what we have accomplished in life. And when the shakings of the kingdom come and those things are taken out, you're left with a shell of a person. Rather than who we are and whose we are. Paul said this. Paul said, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. Man, that was, there was a little anointing on that one, wasn't there? <laughs> Hold on, buddy, I'm almost done, I promise. He's like, no more! <laughs> that was the alarm. If you are in ministry, you may struggle with finding yourself in your gift. 
rather than being a son or a daughter. I've met people where if, if, if they're out doing ministry and they're seeing people get healed, they're seeing people get delivered, they're seeing, you know, they're prophesying over people, they're winning the loss to the Lord, they're on cloud nine. Or whatever that is. I don't know why I said nine. And, uh, and they're just feeling amazing. And then all of a sudden, they hit a wilderness period and they're not operating in their gift. And they, it just like they just absolutely feel destroyed. They feel totally wrecked because they're not doing. Psalms forty six ten says, "Be still and know that I'm God." How many can sit still for fifteen minutes and not say a word and just listen to the Lord? I mean, I, you don't have to tell on yourselves, <laughs> but think about it. How many of you actually sit still each day and listen? If you have a hard time hearing from God, then let me challenge you, no matter how difficult it may seem to you, sit still. Be still. Recognize that He's God, you're not, and when you get your own universe, you can do what you want. Peace is the potting soil to revelation. And many times we cannot sit still because we don't cultivate peace in our life. We don't pray peace down. Many times the orphan spirit is exposed in prayer time with our inability to be still. It's hard to be still and get close to someone you don't really think is there for you. Isn't it? You know, many times, if we could simply start loving people at least like our enemies, we'd be a lot better off. At least the way Jesus said to love your enemy. Does that make sense? If you look at, the, if you look at how Jesus told you to love your enemy, if we would at least in the church start loving each other like that, many times it would be an upgrade in relationship because we'd actually begin to start loving on some level. All the sermons in the world, all the conferences, all the workshops, all the classes, all the mission trips, all the outreaches will never do away with an orphan spirit. Because you can do all those things striving for another touch. Just one more time. Touch me again. Touch me again. And instead of living in a place of habitation, we're living for visitation. See, in the Old Covenant, the Holy Spirit was on a select few. And there were encounters, right? But Abraham went 13 years without the Lord speaking to him after he pulled the move of trying to fulfill the word of the Lord over his life. 13 years passed before the Lord spoke to him again. 235 years passed after the fall of man before men began to call on the name of the Lord again. God didn't speak to Israel for 400 years. What'd they do? I read this morning in the Psalms that said, David offered up a sacrifice and then he watched. 
See, God's calling the watchmen on the wall. He's calling the watchmen right now. He's calling the intercessors. Because if you think your job of intercession was done when Trump got into office, it just started. And there's a convergence of intercession that must take place in this region to fully birth the kingdom the way God wants it displayed in the days ahead over this region. It will not happen without intercession and fasting. Yes, I know, I almost choked when I said fasting. But it won't happen, y'all. If you want to live life beyond the veil, then you've got to seek after God in ways others refuse to. In ways others may perceive as foolish to spend that much time. You must be willing to do that. Because He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after Him. And we want to be a kingdom... We want to be an a company of people that pursue God radically. Does that make sense? So, Father, I just ask that you would come with that liquid love, that baptism of your love, Lord, and that you would literally begin to just pour out and burn out those deficits in our soul. Lord, you said that you restore our soul. And I thank you, Jesus, that you heal the heart. You set the captive free. You open the door of the prison, Lord. Father, there there may be some people in this house this morning that really don't know you. They've known about you. They've gone to church. They were water baptized but they really in their heart of hearts don't know you. And I just, I pray with all my heart, Lord, that no one would leave this place without being birthed, born again of spirit. Lord, I just ask that you would begin to shepherd your people in this season in a way that they recognize your heart, Lord. If Jesus, you said, if we've seen you, we've seen the Father. There's no difference, Lord. We're one. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.